did you know that over half of black Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck, which could affect their payment history and the rate they use to get credit? In contrast, about 44% of black Americans overall report running out of money before the next payday. 54% of black Americans report having no credit or poor credit or just fair credit. Decades of discrimination in employment, lending policies, debt collections, and even criminal prosecutions have left black families struggling to make ends meet. We talk about this all the time on the show. You guys know that this is a reality. This is where All Things Positive comes in. A company that focuses on positive financial behavior change, y'all. I'm already going to have to hit her up, but you guys need to hit her up as well. She is a certified social worker, which means that she provides financial wellness and a holistic approach that encompasses both financial literacy and financial coaching in order to support her clients. She is making sure that you can find your path to freedom. She works with financial institutions, nonprofit agencies, as well as the individual. That's why we're here. So why do you need a financial coach, right? Can you just get your finances in order? No, you need a financial coach to educate you about the basics of those personal finances. You know, the things that they don't teach us in school and they expect us to know. And that's why we're just stuck in this cycle. Because of those things, we make poor financial decisions. We make sure that we have a low credit score. You might have done something crazy like Moran opened up a credit card in college when you didn't really need one. Teaching financial literacy is the way to provide essential knowledge to the members of your community. Using this resource brings her personal perspective and passion and experience to her clients. That's you to make sure that you are making a positive financial impact, whether it is comparing financial products, creating a budget, evaluating the cost of a loan. Financial literacy provides the foundation to make a well-informed decision. And these are the things that we need, you guys, and we are going to continue to thrive as a community. Some of the services that she provides are individual group and couple financial coaching, virtual and in-person financial literacy classes, financial coaching consultation services, and coaching training for practitioners. You guys, this is the thing that you need, all right? If you are interested in any of these services, you can email at allthingspositive2020 at yahoo.com. That's allthingspositive2020 at yahoo.com or by phone at 314-665-665. Five seven six nine. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tess. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Okay, so this week we have another period piece. We are making our way back in time. And this episode raises the question, did our murderess kill because she was a jealous lover? Or was it the revenge of an abuser? Okay, our players for this week are Larry Butler, the husband, Evelyn Clark, the lover, and Betty Butler, our murderess. Betty Butler was born February 15, 1928 in Ohio. She was the youngest of three, and her father was a preacher. Since she was born in 1928, there is not too much we could find out about her childhood growing up. We also couldn't figure out her maiden name during the research as well, but... 
What we do know is Betty got married to Larry Butler. Larry and Betty's marriage seemed great from the outside. Larry was a strict Methodist minister and was very prominent in the community. So something she's used to since her dad was also a preacher. Being prominent in the community is very normal, especially in the especially in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And they had two kids, Donald and Quavandi. The church was pretty successful and they seemed to be and it seemed like Betty was like the ultimate first lady. But here's the thing. Betty had an eye for the ladies. Now, the associate court record said that she associated with lesbians in Northeast Ohio, but what it really was was like a secret meeting of queer folks so that they could be themselves, flirt, dance, have sex with each other, and not be arrested. Because remember, we're talking about a time in America where homosexuality was extremely illegal. Not only was it illegal, but it was looked down upon as being a mental illness, that they were diseased people and you everybody was told that you should be cautious around homosexuals so very like ignorant antiquated ideas that were prominent in the community at the time right so betty had to work overtime to keep her desires under wraps but apparently homegirl had hoes okay (laughs) apparently she you know had a starting lineup and all that. So, <laughs> as we like to call it. As we like to call it, right. She would go to these, like, queer parties and, or speakeasies, and she was living her best double life until one day, somebody in the church just so happened to see Betty kissing another woman. And what did church folks do? They run right to the pastor and told the pastor what they saw. And Larry was livid, Okay. Larry was so upset. He said that he was yelling at her. He said that she disrespected him, disrespected his religion. And as if her being out, it wasn't enough. Her husband took the kids, kicked her out on the street, ruined her relationship and her reputation around town. So she had no friends. They all turned her back, their backs on her. And she ended up having to return to her hometown of Cincinnati where she was homeless and hungry and living on the streets so betty her story gets kind of tricky right here because she meets this woman named evelyn right while she's begging on the streets while she's begging on the streets because her husband has kicked her out and evelyn is evelyn clark she's 30 years old she's married she has kids of her own and she works at a paper bag factory and while she was homeless, she she saw Betty on the street, and she was just like, "Let me make you a sandwich, you know. Come back to my house or whatever. Let me let me help you out." And she feeds her, and she's like, "You should just live with me." And Betty's like, "I should what?" And she was like, "Yeah, you should live with me." Now the story becomes sticky here because some people tell it as Evelyn invited her in to stay at her home, and later. Betty found out that she was supposed to return this generosity with sexual favors. And other people have written the story as they both were aware that this was a sexual arrangement from Jump. And they both agreed to it. And then Betty later became uncomfortable with it. Right? Whichever way it started, both tales 
end in a clear sign that it was clear that Betty no longer wanted to continue this relationship. They say that she felt used and like a prostitute. She was being called, she called herself Evelyn's sex slave. She was like, you just want my body. And it was just making her super uncomfortable. And she just couldn't escape this woman, right? Some reports stated that Evelyn was even known to be controlling and verbally abusive towards Betty. She would coerce her into sex by using food, by leveraging food or or touch her inappropriately while they were in public. Just any old thing. And Betty did not like it. She like, look, just because I'm queer does not mean that I have no respect for myself. And I feel or, like or just because just because I like, I like to, women doesn't mean I like all women. You might not be it for me. Not a lot of people like PDA. Mm. Me, 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 me. Like you hate PDA. I you hate, hate watching it. PDA. You I hate, hate looking at PDA. PDA. I hate it. Get around. I'd be like, okay, whoever I'm talking to at the time, probably not going to be all up on you while I'm around Tazzy because <laughs> Tazzy will throw up. <laughs> she thinks it's disgusting. Even though, like, I want my hand is definitely like under a table where nobody can see. Like, in public? No. Love me. <laughs> <laughs> so, on September 6, 1952, the two went on a fishing trip at the Sharon Woods Park. Evelyn and Betty and some of their friends had their fishing poles, they had their rowboats, their paddles, and they were out on the water. Everyone was seemingly having a good time, drinking, fishing, enjoying each other's company. Well, almost everyone, because folks that were there said the two were bickering and arguing all day to the point where everyone noticed. So this whole like, oh, we're lesbians on the low. No, we see y'all arguing type of thing. But they were trying their best to stay cordial throughout the trip. One of their friends named Deezy Ivory took the two out on the rowboat for one last trip around. But the two started arguing so badly on the boat that Deezy was like, oh, fuck no, let me get these hoes back on the land because they acting up and I'm not going to die while they arguing on this boat on this boat. So apparently Evelyn was very drunk and while she was drunk, she's one of those touchy feely drunks and she was trying to be all up on Betty and Betty is you. It was like, do not touch me. But you know, I am a touchy feely drunk, but I have to like, are you really? I mean, I have to really like you like, so this made Betty extremely uncomfortable. This pissed her off. She did not like this. And some of the sources were like, they were arguing over the sexual, air quotes, y'all, sexual arrangement that they had. But other quotes were saying that they were arguing because of the past and she was really, maybe she was trying to do the, I'm going to tell you in public so that there's no (laughs) issue. And Evelyn was like, actually, I'm drunk, bitch. We can make a scene. Right. So it could have been that. Um, the sources kind of all say different things. So so it's about 5 p.m. and DC has just brought them to shore. And they go a little off into the park and the arguing has not subsided. Next thing you know, Betty pulls out a handkerchief, wraps it around Evelyn's neck and begins to strangle her. She strangles her until Evelyn... She strangles Evelyn until she passes out and becomes unconscious. Deezy is pulling Betty off and he's like, 
I'm not going to let you go until you promise me you're not going to hurt her again. And she's like, okay, I promise I won't hurt her anymore. Dizzy leaves to go get some help because Evelyn is still on the ground unconscious. About 20 minutes later, Betty notices that Evelyn is still alive. So she begins to grab her by her ankles and drag her 100 feet to the lake. A witness heard her saying, if I can't strangle her, I'll drown her. When she gets to the lake, she grabs her by her head and holds her underwater until she drowns. Another witness noted that she then picked up Evelyn's wrist and checked her pulse to make sure that she's dead. And when she did, she said, my work here is done. And after that, she just walked away. Now, remember, y'all, she did all of this in front of witnesses. They were in a public park on a lake drinking and Everybody saw this happening, and not just random strangers. She was in front of people that they both knew and were friends with. Although, I read one article, and she said she accidentally met DZ that day. <laughs> Maybe it was one of Evelyn's friends. Right. This is Evelyn's friends in her party. Right. Now, I don't know if all the witnesses were, like, spread out. I know. One was reported to be a fisherman 75 feet away, and the other was DZ, who went to go get the park ranger or whatever. But, like, I feel like there were other people in this park who could have maybe helped. Absolutely, because they were with a group of friends. Like, they, it wasn't just them two and DZ. So, somebody went and told the park rangers, and she was stopped. Her and DZ were stopped trying to leave the scene. And they were taken to the police station. And she admitted to killing her. She was like, yeah, I strangled her and then I drowned her. And they held Deezy overnight as a material witness. And he was like, yeah, she strangled her and then she drowned her. Are you feeling burnt out? Does life just keep on lifing? Do you feel like you're about to snap like one of our sisters on the show? Well, we've got just what you need. That's right. I'm talking a vacation, okay? My girl, Brittany Pines, is going to hook y'all up. She's going to get you your transportation, hotels, flights, trains, activities, events, anything you can think of, she's going to handle it for you. Just think of her as your personal concierge. Now, I know what you're thinking. Where do I sign up? <laughs> Okay, I got y'all. All you got to do is head over to BrittanyPines.IntelTravel.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-P-I-N-E-S dot I-N-T-E-L-E Travel.com. Or you can email her personally at TravelSimplified21 at Yahoo.com. Y'all better hurry over and get y'all rest and relaxation on. And I want to see the pictures of y'all listening to the podcast while y'all on vacay mode. Okay. So now they're preparing for trial. So on March 3rd, the jury was selected. And on March 4th, they were set to start trial. The jury was supposed to go out and see the actual crime scene. But the bus stalled out. And so they had to wait because if the jury can't see the crime scene, then what are we doing? So the trial actually ended up being pushed back a day. While on trial, Betty says that she did, in fact, kill Evelyn But she's like, look, I did this in self-defense. And her story is way different from the other stories that we heard. So according to Betty, 
she met Evelyn at a bar. And when she met Evelyn at a bar, maybe they were drinking, maybe they were flirting, not really clear. But what happens is Evelyn offers Betty $15 for sexual relations. Remember, this is $15 in 1952. So $15 goes a long way, Mm -hmm. way more than it does now. Mm -hmm. So Betty agreed. And then she said she went back to the home and Evelyn was like, look, I want you to be my woman. I want you, you and I, we together. <laughs> and they did the whole sexual relationship for, in exchange for money about three times. But Betty got uncomfortable with it and wanted to kind of cut it off. Here's another thing. In this article, apparently Betty was like, look, Evelyn was popping up at my house. It was like, come on, let's get it on. But everything else we saw said that Betty was living with Evelyn out of the fact that she had nowhere to go. So here we are again with the math ain't mathin'. Betty would do any and everything to try to avoid Evelyn. She would stay out at the theater. She'd be sneaking in and out of the window. She was really uncomfortable with the entire situation. She was like, the girl is coming to my house all the time. And like, I, I... I got at the door and that like ain't nobody home because she's on my ass. Like she's on my ass. Like she is the definition. She's the original U-Haul lesbian. A bitch is trying to move in here. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there were some love letters found that were submitted by Betty's defense attorney. Evelyn was writing all of these love letters to Betty. Some of them would say things like, quote, baby, I love you and I will never let you go. You are my idea of paradise. Paradise. That's good. I'm going to keep that. (laughs) Another one said, quote, all the money I have will be spent on you. I know that's right. (laughs) And this one, this last quote, I find very interesting. She says, quote, I won't drink if you will change your mind and take me back. I love you, and the good fellow above knows I am out to prove it. I will meet you anywhere, freight yard, alley, or anywhere. I have fallen in love with you. Which it kind of is interesting because it kind of suggests she has a drinking problem, right? And so in the trial, the... They were talking about how drunk she was at the lake. The pathologist said two things were clear. She was drunk and she was unconscious. When it happened. So maybe that was suggesting that when she drank, and maybe that was the reason for the breakup. You know, you get crazy when you drink and you start and I don't doing like all of that. You know what I mean? The prosecution, of course, was like, oh, Betty is just a bisexual, jealous lover. And she killed Evelyn out of a jealous rage because the whole story was originally was like, oh, she was, Betty was upset because she was married. And it's like, no, no. At least in my opinion, from my research of this, is like, no, it's, it has nothing to do with the husband. We didn't even meet to mention him in the players. And it's so hard to even find research on either one of their husbands. Like, when they talked about things mentioning in the trial, I guess neither one of the husbands testified towards anything or said anything newsworthy, but couldn't find anything on their opinions about the whole situation of the two women being together. Maybe they were ashamed and refused to talk to the police because can't believe my wife's a fucking lesbian you know right but nothing well i could only i i know i could expect it from betty's husband larry because of the whole like pastor thing but anyways on march 11th they had closing arguments 
And as you can imagine, the jury pool was all white. It was made up of five men and seven women, and they very quickly found her guilty of murder in the first degree and sentenced her to the electric chair. She was sent to Maryville, Ohio Reformatory for Women until her set execution date. Her original execution date was set for April 5th, 1953. While Betty was in jail, she was nicknamed the Sphinx. So, I mean, like a Sphinx is like a cat, right? And so, maybe they called her this. They say that she was very to herself. She was polite, but she was not friendly. She was calm, but she was detached, you know? She didn't cause trouble, but she she was not making friends. She spent her time studying the Bible, painting, and drawing. And that's what she did. And she actually found that she was really good with charcoals. And she would draw different pictures and send them to her children. Um, she prayed a lot. And she continued her her religious practices. And when she entered jail, like her, she grew up Methodist and... Her husband was a Methodist minister, but in her last few weeks of life, she started practicing Catholicism um, and was meeting with the chaplain in the jail and everything like that. I don't know if that's all they offered. You know what I mean? I feel like I've never been to prison or jail, but I feel like it should be non-denominational there. But Right, just somebody who's willing to do whatever you need. But right? I guess, you know, I know a couple of Christian pastors that are like, look, I've gone to preach at the church, so maybe it's... Betty was initially set to be executed April 5th, 1953, making her the third woman and the first Negro woman to be executed by the state of, o- by the state of Ohio through electric chair. The two white women that were executed before her were all accused of poisoning somebody. They're not both accused. They're both sentenced. Well, they were both found guilty of... They were both convicted of death, of murder by poison. As of 1885... As of 1885, Ohio Penitentiary... Oh, as of 1885, Ohio Penitentiary in Columbus, Ohio became the location for all executions. During this time, death by hanging was still very legal and could be punishment for first-degree murder. But in 1886, the Ohio General Assembly ruled for electrocution to replace hanging as a form of capital punishment. So her set day for execution was August 5th. On August 4th, she learned that she had a stay of execution and her appeal was pending. She ended up losing that appeal and her new execution and her new execution date was set for January 15th, 1954. On January 7th, 1954, the Ohio State Supreme Court gave temporary reprieve. Her execution was then affirmed after that. Then the governor at the time, <laughs> Governor Loesch, gave another reprieve and that that held off her date for a little while but finally an execution date was set for june 11th 1954 the governor met with the pardons and paroles board which is made up of about 12 people and after the meeting they decided that the sentence is warranted and there is no justification for intervention by the governor so no need for like an emergency pardon or anything like that right so on june 11th 1954 Betty had her last meal, which consisted of toast, two scrambled eggs, two glasses of milk, and a bowl of apricots. She then gets ready to see the electric chair, which they called 
old Sparky. And she goes and walks them all to the chair, which sends shocks of electrocution through her body in one minute intervals. After three minutes, she was pronounced dead at 810. So the jail that she was in, right? The jail that they uh, did the execution at, they said it was haunted. Right, I saw that in your notes. So apparently, like on top of it being the place in Ohio where executions go to happen, you know, apart from it being <laughs> that place, one of them years it was open, they had a big fire and a bunch of inmates died in it. So they're like, it's supposed to be all these haunted people walking the house, whether they're from death row or whether they're from the losses of the fire, but it was supposed to be really haunted and they ended up tearing it down. And now it's like a parking lot and a strip mall and like a booming business area now. See, I just going to tear down the building the spirits are living in. Yeah. And it's like, maybe if you walk out there, you might see her. Y'all let me know, folks from Ohio. <laughs> Great. Okay, y'all, it is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it. But if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I'm going to let you go first because I have no idea. Oh, did I write this out already? Yep. So smart. Okay. I ain't do it, but if I did, maybe I wouldn't have done it in such a public area. You know what I mean? Like, everything about this sounds pretty premeditated. And it's kind of... Really? You think it sounds premeditated? She's Aquarius. Sensitive ass. Sensitive ass. Listen... She was being harassed. She was in her feet. She was. She has already been harassed. And now she's being abused by this woman. Right. So I think she had it in her head that she had to go. Now, at first, I had put that I felt like she should have just left this lady's house if it was so bad. But, like, per her testimony, she didn't even stay with her. She had her own house, and the girl was coming up to her own house, knocking on her. And at this point, what can you do? You say call the police, but do they care? No. About a lesbian black woman having issues with her lesbian black lover? You know what I mean? Definitely not. So, I don't know. I feel like she knew the day was coming, and she knew she was getting pushed towards it. She probably definitely snapped in that moment. Also, if I did it and I was on death row, I'd have picked a better fucking meal than scrambled eggs. Are you kidding me? You have anything you want? <laughs> you got scrambled eggs and two glasses of milk? That's all she had a hankering for. Scrambled eggs? That's how you going out? I like eggs. For your last meal? That's what you choosing? Maybe poached eggs. No! No eggs on the menu. It's your last meal. People request stupid shit for their last meal. Stupid. I ain't do it, but if I did... I don't know. I feel like she could have probably found one of her... mm, I don't know. Lesbian arguments are very hard. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very hard to get out of those situations. (laughs) With U-Haul lesbians. 
Uh, Don't ask me how I know, friends. <laughs> and so, I just feel like there had to have been some way of Betty to just get on her own two feet on her own. And I get it. It was hard because, like, being a first lady, like, that pressure has to be really hard. And then being a first lady with a past. Like, I don't know if we have any first ladies that listen to this podcast. A, why are you here? <laughs> Second, if you if you are here, that means you probably got a history of some backsliding days and we want to hear from you. But I don't know. If any, if any first ladies had some backsliding days, come tell us your tell us your stories. But like But was there an opportunity for her to leave? Cuz it's like which story is true? Was she homeless and was trying to get off the street, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then other stories split because some people say that she abandoned her kids or that her husband wouldn't like you lost your kids when you decided to go be a lesbian and other reports say that she took her kids with her so was it you and your kids out on the street homeless or you and your kids out fending for yourself or were you fending for yourself alone it's so many things that are unclear about this story yeah and that's the hard thing about these period pieces is that they're not reporting the news especially for black people the way that they should have been because they don't I can give a read, fuck. I can read three different articles three days apart and have three different stories. Yeah. And they... The newspaper articles are just really not consistent at all. And... I don't know. I feel like... Now they've just been so retold. Like, these... They've been constantly... These retold. don't even match the newspaper stories. These you know don't match mean? the newspaper stories. Deadly the Women doesn't pe- match, match anything. Other. Yeah, nothing matches. So it's really just us trying to, like, make up a story here for you guys. Um, but you know what? I would have probably done, like, a... Something solid to tell her story. I mean, and people don't think about that. And I think if any if at any point I become executed, I'm going to write a book. Because now it's really my time to tell my story. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story. This is... Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? What is that one? You know Hamilton? this. Yes. Sorry. I was going to say, you know this one. <laughs> Come on. I've been doing so good lately. <laughs> I know. All right, friend. Parole or no parole? Um, I, I don't know. You know, I wouldn't have executed her for this. I don't think this is That's an execution I case. I think it was the just bigotry? the... Sh- I think it was the shock to their system of like, oh my goodness, lesbians exist and they're murdering, and they're black. Oh, my God. And I think that was just way too much for those little white little souls, those white Midwest souls to understand. When in reality, I would have probably given her life. So here's my thing, parole or no parole. Definitely, I definitely think she should get retried for a lesser sentence. And here's why. When you look at, she's one of three women in Ohio, right, who have been electrocuted by the death chair. Correct. I don't know about what crimes the other women committed who were executed, maybe through lethal injection, but this is what I have right here, that the other two women were white and the other two women poisoned, one woman poisoned like her husband and killed him, and another one was poisoning her elderly suitors, right? Yeah, so like her sugar daddy. Right. But it was very much like, I planned this, I put the poison in your food or your drink or whatever, not... Whereas her, Betty's story was, I'm in a relationship that I don't want to be in. I'm having to have sex that I don't want to have. This lady will not leave me alone. I've been trying to escape and I cannot. I'm hiding. I'm ducking and dodging. I can't even go home and be safe. You know what I'm saying? Because this woman is coming for me. You know what I mean? And it was just like, uh, shut up, you lesbian bitch. 
killer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, her story didn't matter. And we don't know how much truth it is, but, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say, like, she's not being harassed. Like, the girl was in jail. You know what I'm saying? And while she was in jail, she was able to send her mom to find the love letters. So, I know they said alleged love letters, but, like... They were there. And it kind of checks up with this obsessive story. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? She was obsessed with me. And this alcohol story. Mm-hmm. Because it's always the ones with any type of addiction that are just like, I will do anything I will for do you. anything for, to get you back. I will do, I will stop gambling. I will stop drinking. I will stop texting other people. They'll do anything to get you back. And at the and time. Nothing to keep you. <sighs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Help is gonna come. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Yeah, so I definitely think that she should be retried. And I think that this was a crime of passion because of the heightened intensity. Mm-hmm. Not because, like, the love, but it was... It was... Get the fuck away. It was get the fuck away. So it was a, it was intense emotion. Like, you know, being feeling in that position, I feel like girls feel it often as you're learning to grow up. And, like, as you're learning to explore your body and as boys are learning to explore your body, I feel like a lot of times as women or girls growing up, we feel obligated to allow something. You know what I'm saying? And, like, you're not allowed to say no because, especially at the time, because you're a woman and your job, especially at the church, like, your job is to be fruitful and multiply Mm -hmm. and be submissive and follow everything that your husband says and it's like ah. i feel like we're just now learning like that our body is ours and we have the like in this day and age like we have the right to say no and we're still having to prove that part you know what i'm saying right which is the crazy part so back in 1952 it was probably like like i left this man who you know feels however he feels about it her body in the church or whatever and dealing with all that type of issues to then go to a woman who was still disrespecting your body you know what i think i think just like i feel like you expect i don't want to say better but different out of women they love you differently they love you more nurturingly you know what i mean no i think that i i definitely think that they do and it sometimes can be too much you know, mm-hmm. because women also are very used to being the strong, independent person. And mm-hmm. so now that you're loving on me so much and to the point where it's almost like you're helicopter loving me, it's like, oh, I get the nurture, but like, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still independent. And I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really trying to avoid. I, there's about three times I don't tell my business. I know, right? And I'm just I, sitting here like, see that go play me this time. Oh, be quiet. I, uh, y'all, I would, if y'all go th- re-go through the episodes, y'all could probably pick out when my relationship, my last relationship was going down. <laughs> because sex is an important in a relationship, you know? <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> Alright, now motherfuckers are gonna be like... Let's go through these episodes and see all the problems in Maran's past relationship. Listen. Woo! Alrighty. <laughs> that has been another episode. Let's go ahead and read some reviews. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Counseling Services. Y'all, we are always discussing mental health on the show, and with BetterHelp, you can take control of your mental health with a licensed, trained, and experienced therapist. And here's the best part. When you sign up for BetterHelp, you can tell them exactly what you're looking for in a counselor. So you can say, hey, I want a black female therapist, and they will find you the perfect match. All this without the high cost of in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Go to BetterHelp.com slash SistersWhoKill to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash SistersWhoKill. Take charge of your mental health and show support for the show. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, this one is from, first of all, thank you all so much for writing these reviews for us. Like, especially after Homegirl last week, we really appreciate it. Like, y'all niggas was looking out, and I just love it for you, for all of us. Same, same, same. All right, this is from MZ, Ms. MZ Janini says my favorite podcast as a true crime junkie i love this podcast although i have watched slash read most of the stories on this show the way these two young black women deliver the information is phenomenal i find myself talking back to them before i realize they can't hear me they address the individual situations in a real way it feels like me and my homegirls talking about these cases i thought to myself is this show really worth five stars absolutely the only crybaby complaint i have is that i binged all the episodes in two days and dread listening to new episodes because i gotta wait a whole week to get my next fix i decided their effort in the details to post these episodes is more important than my need to hear my little homies talk my little homies take on true crime so i give them 100 stars keep it coming ladies (laughs) y'all y'all need to slow down listen to these episodes i don't know what to tell you because you ain't getting no more (laughs) listen people be like he would be like binging the episodes now and i almost want to type slow down you're gonna regret it but on the other hand i need our numbers to go up so go ahead and binge it and tell a friend right binge it tell a friend but also like okay so this one came in through our email but i feel like this is my favorite review (laughs) says ladies just wanted to let you know that i enjoy your podcast i listen to a few but yours is the one i look forward to every week keep up the good work a 70 year old fan mj Thanks so much, MJ. Thank you, MJ. And I we we did get an email from somebody that was like, "I'm old enough to be y'all's mama, and sometimes the language hurts my ears, but I really enjoy the show." And, and I, I know like, that y'all young language. You talking about like, something? Yeah. It is our young language. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. It is the young people lingo. So, okay, so let's get out of here. If you want to keep up with Sisters Who Kill, you can email us. You can email us saying, hey, that you love the show. You can email us saying, hey, whatever. I hate the show. <laughs> yes, e- email it to us. <laughs> and Or if you'd like any ad space or just to say, hey, you can email us at sistershokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow Tazzy on Twitter because I'm always like, Tazzy, go look at your Twitter child. <laughs> and that is Sisters Who Kill. You can follow us on Instagram at Sisters Who Kill Pod, on TikTok at Sisters Who Kill Podcast. You can cash app us, money sign, Sisters Who Kill Pod. And you can join the discussion group, but you must answer the questions to get in. Stop trying to invite your auntie and them in there because they ain't talking about I ain't listened to an episode. Y'all told them it was some stuff going down in the discussion group and they wanted to hop in there. They don't know us, okay? 
Tell them to go listen to an episode or two and then come back. Exactly. Decide if this is really for you. Y'all not even going to understand what's going on if you ain't listen to the episodes. Right. (laughs) Alrighty. So, that's all I got. You got anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. All right. Peace. Bye.